So this morning, as we said, we do continue our series on this letter to the Galatians. And last week, if you were here, we began our series by looking at Paul's introduction to the letter. And now this week, we're going to begin the body of the letter. And here, as we'll see, the Apostle Paul actually does something that he almost never does to start off a letter. Because as you might know, usually in Paul's letters, he opens up by giving a greeting. And then, to start off the body of the letter, he usually begins with a few statements of thanksgiving. Right? Giving thanks to God for those he is writing to. So that's typical Paul. But here... In Galatians 1, as you probably just noticed in the scripture reading, there's no paragraph of thanksgiving. Instead, it's almost the opposite. Rather than thanks, he starts this letter off with a firm statement about the seriousness of false teaching and about what's going on with false teaching in Galatia. Which brings us then to how we're going to go through this paragraph this morning. So to get at what God's word is saying to us, we're just going to have three questions about what is said here. Three questions. Those will be our three sections, and we'll actually just simply reveal each question as we go. But that being said, right away then we will begin our first section on this paragraph. And here, our first question is going to be, what does it look like to turn from the true gospel? What does it look like to turn from the true gospel? And for this, we're going to be in verse 6 and 7, but we're going to start with just verse 6. So let's look to, do that now. If you want to look down at your Bibles, Galatians 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So as you can see, the first thing Paul opens up with is how astonished he is at what's going on with these Galatians. And what is it that's going on? Well, as you can see, amazingly, astonishingly, people are turning from the true gospel of grace and they're turning to a different gospel. Meaning they are no longer believing and loving and clinging to the true message of Jesus and have fallen into believing a distorted message. But notice, and I think this is perhaps the most important thing Paul says in verse 6, notice it's not that Paul, analyzing all this, thinks that they're just going from idea number one, the true gospel, to idea number two, a false gospel. Now bring this up because I think we can sometimes think of it like that. We can think of true teaching or true gospel versus false teaching as just idea number one versus idea number two where one idea is true and one idea is false. And in one sense, of course, that is true because we know that the true gospel, the true gospel message of Jesus is rooted in reality and truth. Right? God is real. Jesus is real. He really came. He really saves. But that being said, notice... Paul says they aren't just leaving the idea of the true gospel behind. Instead, what's really going on is that they're, quote, deserting him. You can see that in verse 6. They're deserting God who called them in the grace of Christ. And that really, in a quick nutshell, already actually gives us a short answer to our first question. There'll be more to see, but in brief, what does it look like to turn from the true message of Jesus? Well, it's not just turning from idea number one to idea number two, but specifically, it's turning from God 
and turning to some other message, to some other message where he no longer is. That then leads us to verse 7, where Paul feels he needs to clarify a little bit what he means by this. Let's read that, look down at that now. Galatians 1, 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So, so this verse is here, as you can tell, because Paul doesn't want them or us to think that there actually is another gospel, another good news. Because see how he talks in verse 6. They're turning to a different gospel, but then right away he wants to be clear there actually isn't another gospel. And so his point is, you are turning to something that they're calling good news, but in reality, it isn't gospel. It isn't good news. And that's because there's only one good news of the universe, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? There are wannabes. There are distortions of that news. There are other messages that claim hope and peace and love. But as Paul is saying here, there's only one true message that brings all that, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that then briefly is verse 6 and verse 7's answer then to what it looks like to turn away from the true gospel. Combining all that together, it's deserting him, God, who called once in the grace of Christ and turning to a different message. A message that seems to be good to you, which is why you're turning. But in the end, it isn't as good. It isn't the true, real, and good news of Jesus Christ. But with that said, before we do move on to our second question, I do think it's good to stop here and talk about two things to further clear up what's going on here. Two things. First, a theological issue you may be thinking of as you hear all this. And then second, more practically, what this turning looked like back then and what this kind of turning looks like in our culture today. So first, as for a possible theological issue you may be thinking in this paragraph, it's good to stop here for a minute and talk about how this relates to what has often been called eternal security. Right, eternal security. Because you may be hearing this about people turning from the true gospel and deserting God and thinking, wait, what about eternal security? Right? It's, a good, it's a good question. And I especially bring this up because seeing the history of our church, ECC, here in places like our bylaws and, and talking to many of you over this past year, I've noticed that this is a theological cho- topic that has been a central one here. And so you may be wondering, is a paragraph like this teaching that people can actually turn away and fall away from salvation. And it's important for us to think about, but to give, instead of a quick answer, instead to give an answer that perhaps is a little more full, we first need to dig into what the Bible and what the apostles teach on this issue in a little more detail. Because here's what I mean. So on this topic, the Bible clearly does teach that once you're genuinely saved, you cannot lose your salvation, as we like to say. And specifically, what this means is that once you are genuinely Jesus's, genuinely justified and right with the living God, you can't ever go back to being not Jesus's, right? Or not right with God. And we know this is true from famous places like Jesus in John 10, where he says that no one is able to snatch his sheep out of his hand. 
Or from the same Apostle Paul like in Romans 8 where he's clear that each individual person who is ever justified, meaning right with God, will eventually be glorified and so no one is lost along the way. And so God's word clearly does teach that and it is a precious truth. And though, at the same exact time, God's word also then still does have a lot of warnings about falling away from God. And and it's these that sometimes many talks of eternal security don't talk about as often, but we see turning like that here in Galatians 1. And we see all sorts of warnings about this throughout the whole book of Hebrews. And we see warnings about in the Old Testament, in Jesus' teachings, in John and Peter's teachings, and elsewhere in Paul's writings. And so in summary, if you want to think about it this way, God's word is clear. On the one hand, we can never fall away from salvation. And yet also, God's word is clear to us to say, don't fall away. (laughs) Don't turn from Jesus. And, And not only that, but like here in Galatians 1, in the Bible, there are people who do turn and fall away in a sense. And so, the question is, how do we reconcile these two things? And the answer is found in two other truths that the Bible teaches, two other truths. And I do encourage you, as you think of your salvation or the salvation of others, or just this topic, I encourage you to keep these two truths always in your mind. And the first is that people can and do embrace the gospel of Jesus genuinely. And so they're right with God but then they can have times in their lives when they stumble, right, and even digress for a time. Right, I'm sure many of us here could talk about times when that was true for us. And, and concerning our passage this morning, I do think that that's mainly what's going on with most of these Christians in Galatia. And that's because as we're going to keep reading this letter, it will become clear that Paul is pretty firm that these false teachers most likely do not genuinely know Jesus. But for the average Christian in Galatia, it actually seems that Paul leans more towards thinking that they're genuinely saved, but they're just temporarily deceived. And and so the Bible does teach that that's of course possible. People come to know Jesus, and then for a time they can backslide, as we like to say. And to be honest, in a lot of talks of eternal security, this is the truth that's usually been the most emphasized. But then also... The second thing we need to keep in mind on this issue, and this is perhaps not emphasized enough, is that in one sense people can and do fall away. They never lose their salvation. It's impossible. But people really do fall away from their professed faith and sometimes never return. And we see this, for example, right now in the really prominent ex-evangelical movement, if you're familiar with that. We see it in Christian homes, in youth groups, and in adults who come to church or seem excited about Jesus for a while but then never continue with him. And so what's the answer to that? Well, from God's word, the answer is the second truth, that yes, in a sense, people can and do fall away from their professed faith, but technically and very importantly, what Jesus taught, like in his parable of the sower, and what his apostles taught is that when someone does fall away like that, It may not be that they're just backsliding. That might be the case. 
But instead, often it's just the simple fact that they never genuinely knew Jesus. And this is where texts like 1 John 2, 19 are so helpful. Maybe one of the best verses, one verse is on this whole topic. Because hear this from the Apostle John. He, he's talking about people here who left or fell away from their professed faith. And he says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Right, and more texts like that could be given. But the point then is clear. Yes, once saved, always saved is true, but also we must be genuinely saved. That's the teaching of God's word. And this means it's not just that someone raised a hand one day or felt emotional one night or went to church for a season. But the question for each one of us is, by God's grace, have you really trusted in Jesus Christ? And do you trust him now? Or are you right with God by grace? And to prove that, are you showing forth fruit? Because if, if that's not the case, it's, it's not that you or someone else lost salvation. That is impossible. Nor may it be just backsliding. Instead, the issue is genuinely trusting and knowing Jesus. And, and that's why, as one final thing on this, it's why I would commend to you, possibly, a different term than maybe eternal security. It's not a bad term. But to be honest, eternal security is not... Uh, as much of a used term historically, and it can make it sound like if someone raised a hand or at one point said they were saved, even if they don't trust in Jesus for the rest of their lives, then they're still fine forever. When, when that's just not true in God's word, and therefore can be misleading. And so instead, this is why probably the, the older, more used phrase from back in the Reformation times is much more helpful, and this is the phrase, the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of believers. Or as the late R.C. Sproul changed it to slightly, the preservation of the saints. Because this gets more to the biblical teaching. Because what this means is that God not only saves people forever, but then his people who are saved, always by God's grace, ultimately persevere in their faith. Or better yet, God always preserves his people ultimately in their faith. And so I know it's a lot, but that's the first thing to clarify in all this, and I hope that does help. That leads to the second thing, and that's further applying and elaborating on what this turning from the true gospel looked like back here in Galatia and what it might look like today. And on this, though, as a foundation to start, right, we first need to know that the true gospel, very briefly, is about God and him being real and him being the creator and the sustainer of everything. It's about how each one of us are broken and really sinful. And then it's about Jesus, the, the son of God, coming, living, dying in the place of sinners like you and me, rising from the dead in history. And then it's about the fact that we accept what he's done for us by grace through faith alone. All right, so that is the foundation we need to know is believing the true message of Jesus. Right, the true gospel. But I say that because then what turning away from that looked like in Galatia here is that they actually agreed about all that about God and about what Jesus did. And we know they even agreed that people needed to believe in and trust in Jesus. But then, interestingly, what, interestingly, what they were then doing is then they were adding the necessity of our doings and our works to all of that. 
Meaning these false teachers were saying, it's believing in Jesus and doing these things, especially back then certain Jewish things like circumcision and obeying the Jewish calendar. And by changing the message like that, Paul was saying clearly, as you can read yourself, that they made the gospel Jesus plus works and therefore it was a false gospel. And so that's what it looked like back then. And yet today, it often still looks kind of similar. For example, in Roman Catholicism a lot, or in other religions, or in other Christian-derived cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, it still often, in essence, is the same false gospel that comes in to replace the true gospel just clothed in different works. Right? Because false teaching often still involves God, still involves even Jesus, but salvation is Jesus plus. Right? Jesus plus being involved in enough in church. Jesus plus confession or taking the Eucharist or baptism. Or Jesus plus making sure you're good enough. Or Jesus plus making sure you're going around door to door and evangelizing or anything else. And so the point is, if that's ever part of the good news you're hearing, that good news is false. But that's not all that turning away from the true gospel like this looks like today. Because it may be, might be true, like in Galatia here, that many people do leave the true gospel for a false other religion type gospel. But I also think that this same paradigm that we're seeing here applies to what it looks like when someone leaves the true gospel for no religion or faith at all. And I want to bring this up because this, as we might know, is what is becoming a lot more common in our post-Christian world. Because many nominal Christians are now becoming what is known as the nuns. The nuns. I don't know if you've heard that. N-O-N-E-S. And that's because when they grow up and they leave the faith and they are asked on a form what religion they practice, they now mark none. And yet still, when that happens to people that leave the true gospel, I think the essence of what we see here in verses 6 and 7 is still the same. Because think about it. Still, when that happens, essentially what's going on is the same. They leave the true good news about Jesus Christ and they turn to some other message that they think is better or truer. Now, in this case, it could be secularism, could be naturalism, materialism. It could be just the seemingly better message that I can just do whatever I want or I'm just going to believe in myself. Right? Or it could be a message of just, I just want to try to be a decent person. But the point is, whatever the specifics, what we see here, in essence, still happens. And that's why when you look at it, all the verses 6 and 7 here are are so helpful because as we know, this happens, right? It's astonishing in a sense, especially because all this about God and Jesus and his gospel is not just religious talk, it's true. It's astonishing, but this happens. People leave Jesus and his gospel good news and they do so because they think something else is better news, a better message. Whether it's a religious message or a non-religious message. But the final point I hope you see in verse 7 is that why this is so tragic is because the reality is there is no other good news. 
or to say it in a final way, the reality is if, if you're looking for the best, most satisfying truth and news which every human being is, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no other message that compares. But that then leads us to our second question. So first we ask, what does it look like to turn from the true gospel? And now we'll follow that up by asking, and why is this so serious? And why is this so serious? And for this, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9. So look down at your Bibles, Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul continues. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Again, or as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So in brief, why is this so serious? Well, because as you can see, being cursed in eternity are in the balance here. I mean, they really are. So for individual people and what or who they trust in, eternity is in the balance in all of this. And yet specifically here in verses 8 and 9, it's actually the message itself that's emphasized. Right? It's emphasized in quite an amazing way. And I say that because notice in verse 8, Amazingly, Paul begins by saying that if we, meaning if he or his companions, Timothy and Titus, or if an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, another message, they should be cursed by God. And then in verse 9, he says this again to stress the point, but this time he makes it even more exhaustive. If anyone, doesn't matter who it is, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And to be clear, that word there, accursed, is just that famous Greek word you might know, anathema. And the word simply means cursed or given to God for proper judgment. And so Paul is simply saying that above any person, above any angel, and even above him as an apostle, is this true gospel message of Jesus Christ and the importance of getting the message right. And yet, let's be honest, as we hear that, we may be thinking, but why? I mean, what's the big deal about a message? And in short, the reason is because if you think about it, the message about Jesus is never just words. Right? It's not just a message. Instead, the gospel message is simply relaying the reality, the truth of the living Jesus and why he matters for us. And that then is why the message and being faithful to the true message is so important. Right? We don't care about the message and, and, and being right just because we're fervent people as Christians. Right? Nor is the message important just because we want to have something like power in the world. Nor should we view the message as important just because we want to be correct and right. Instead, what we see here in this paragraph is that the message matters so much. So much that Paul is willing to curse himself if he goes off message because the message is the truth about God, about Jesus, and about how people really do get right with him now and forever. Or perhaps to say it most clearly, God is real. He really came in Jesus. He offers salvation. And in reality, there is a way to be right with this God of love and grace now and forever. And so, when someone gets the message and all that wrong, or twists and distorts that message, it's a huge deal. 
right? Not because some idea is incorrect, but because the living God's character and way of salvation is misrepresented. That then leads to one final thing about this question, about the seriousness of this, before we move on to our final question. And that's technically, as perhaps you might have noticed, in these verses, it's not just eternity, nor is it just the message that Paul's talking about here. But technically, he's most serious about the messengers here. He's firm about the messengers that bring false messages and how the messengers will be accursed. And here's where I honestly, as I'm preparing this, as I'm speaking this right now, I'm going to be really careful, but also I hope clear. Careful, because God is my witness. I don't want to feel nor come off prideful in any of this. But also clear, because this is in God's word. But but carefully and clearly then, what these verses mean is that for those who do teach or promulgate false gospels, it really is a huge, huge deal, both for them and for their listeners. And to be honest, really believing and feeling this is hard for many of us Christians these days. It's, It's hard for us to look at false gospels and especially the people, the false teachers who teach those gospels and believe the seriousness of what we read in these verses. And, and, and that's a, a good thing in a way, right? Because it shows that we want to have compassion and grace. And this is especially the case because we do sometimes see certain non-compassionate so-called Christians or churches that are really nasty in the way they handle all this with no love. And so it is good for us to perhaps feel a little hesitant as we talk about all this and yet... While that's also true, as you can see from God's word here, not from me, but from God's word, it's that we do have to say that when people do teach very twisted and false things about Jesus and his good news, like Jesus died to make you really rich, or Jesus didn't die for sin, but he just died to show love, or you're saved by your faith and by what you do or by how faithful you are. When we hear those things in love and compassion, we may want to just say, well, whatever, but the reality is carefully and compassionately, we do have to agree with Paul in God's word here that apart from changes to those messages, such messengers are accursed. They're headed to God's proper judgment of hell if what they believe and teach doesn't change. And importantly on this, what doesn't then matter that much at all on this, as you can see, is how sincere or how well-intentioned such teachers are. They may be sincere and mean well, or they may not. Instead, what matters to Paul and therefore to God here is the message. And and one final time, to be super clear, we say all this not because we're happy to say it. We shouldn't be. Instead, it's simply because of what God says to us here, and it's because, as we just talked about, any false gospel is falsely representing God and who he is and the good news for the world. Which finally leads us to our third and last question this morning. And this is more of an application question, if you will. And so we've seen what it looks like to turn from the true gospel. We've seen why it is really serious. And with those two questions, most of this paragraph, as you can see, has been covered. 
But now for our final question, I want us to step back for a minute, to step back from a firm, serious text like this and simply ask a more broad question, like why is a text like this even here? Or or more broadly, why does God often in his word have such firm, honestly at first unattractive texts like this? (laughs) Right? Is it just because it's about right versus wrong or is there a lot more going on here? And of course, we saw part of an answer to that question in our last section about the seriousness of this. But I want us to ask this more broad question because there's something in our text that's really helpful on that. Because let's be honest, I I know some people, and maybe you here right now, can hear all this and think, man, that's just intense. (laughs) Or man, Paul and Jesus and God's word really just seems to care so much about what I believe in being right. And on the one hand, as we've been saying, the Bible and Paul and God do course care about that because knowing what's right and true does matter because truth is reality and yet the reason I bring this final question up is because there's another reason my passages like this are in God's word both in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the reason is talked about in part of what Paul says in verse 7 verse 7 so let's now read that one more time but this time as we do so notice what Paul is saying this accursed false teaching does to people It isn't just right and wrong, verse 7, instead. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there it is. When the gospel is changed and when people turn and desert God and turn to a different gospel, it troubles. It troubles. And, And this is true for anything that isn't genuinely true. Or any false teaching, any false theology or doctrine about God and His ways. It's never just about right versus wrong. But if it's false, it troubles. And that word in Greek simply means to unsettle. Or to confuse. Or to take away calmness of mind. Or maybe best, to make restless. And so especially after Paul mentioning peace, if you remember from last week in verse 3. What this word talks about essentially is the opposite of peace. Because notice, peace comes from God and Jesus in the gospel in verses 3 and 5. But then, right away in verses 6 through 9, when people turn from God's gospel to another message, it troubles them. And I think that's so important. Because this then shows us that how Paul and how God thinks about all what's going on here. Because in this paragraph, and really this whole book, that the idea is, yes, a false teaching has come into this region. And in reality, though, it's not true, right? There's no other good news. And we may hear all that and just think it's about being right or having the correct message. But what we see here is that there's always so much more at stake than that. Instead, truth matters, yes, because our eternity is at stake, but also because being troubled versus having genuine peace with God is at stake. And that's always the case, therefore, for the seemingly intense part of God's word. And that then really is why I ask this final question. Because the answer to why God is ever intense like this, the answer to why God has such a big book where he cares so much about truth and doctrine is always because of what we see hinted at here at verse 7. 
It's because when we go against truth and God's ways, we're not just wrong, it's hurtful to us. It really is. God loves us and knows what's best for us. And so when we go against his truth and his ways, whether in morality or in something like false theology or especially in the twisting of the gospel, it's hurtful towards us and towards others. And so really, I hope that's something we all leave here this morning as you think about the idea of why is false teaching so important. Because I know a passage like this, as you probably heard in the scripture reading, seems really unappealing. (laughs) And really, like, why is this in the Bible? But it's because whenever we're talking about God or about Jesus or about how we should live our Christian lives or especially about the gospel, we're always talking about what's really good and true and peace-giving towards us or in false teaching, what's not good and not peace-giving for us. And so that's then why false teaching really, really matters. And to show this, to flesh this out maybe together a little bit more. Think about then some of the more famous examples of false teaching that we've been talking about this morning. First, think about the false teaching that Jesus died really so he could make you wealthy or prosperous or have the certainty of being healed in this life or have your best life now, something which is often called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. Think about that message. Why is that such an issue? Well, yes, it's because it's unbiblical and it's wrong and it really misrepresents who Jesus is, but also it's because it's so, so hurtful, so troubling. Because think, of the, think about the millions who listen to that and are taught that and who therefore really believe it. Right? They believe that because they trust in Jesus, they should be rich or they should be healed. And so they live for and they put their hope in money. Or they sadly think that if they aren't rich or healed, they're just taught that they don't have enough faith. And so they're burdened with this strange, unbiblical guilt. And all along, it's the teachers of a message like that who get rich. It's awful. And so again, the point is that false teaching is never just wrong. It's always hurtful. And the same is true for the false gospel that can be perpetuated often in Catholic theology, which is, again, more like what we see in Galatia here. Because there, the false gospel, again, combines faith in Jesus and our works and how we're doing certain things to be right with God. And at first, again, especially in our culture, I know we might hear that and just be prone to think, I I get that, but that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But again, think about how believing a wrong teaching like that is a big deal. Because again, it is unbiblical. It is incorrect, but it's so much more. Because being out of line with reality and the true message, it's hurtful. Because first, we could spend time to show how a teaching like that has led to the excessive institutionalization of the church. It has. And we can all look at over a thousand years of history to see how much that has troubled millions of people. But then second, also think about the person who really believes that false teaching. People in their hearts who may want to trust Jesus and just be saved, but then they're also taught that they need to be so involved in the Catholic Church or they need to make sure they confess and do enough penance or they need to participate rightly in the Eucharist or they need to do good enough works to make sure they're really on God's side. It hurts them. 
And we could say the same thing about cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and what they teach and how that troubles. Or we could say the same thing about strict legalistic churches that make knowing Jesus all about just following rules. And we could say the same thing about false teachings that take sin out of the gospel and say that God is just simply loves and he just wants us to be loving people. Because in the end, in all of those cases, once again, what happens in any false teaching isn't that it's just unbiblical and wrong, but it troubles. Now, it may seem appealing at first. That's why people believe them. Right? Like the idea of trusting in Jesus will guarantee my healing. Or I like the idea that I get to contribute to my salvation. So they may seem appealing, but being false, being not the true good news, they always trouble. And so I know we're emphasizing this, but one last time so we really get it. False teaching is not just wrong, but it really troubles people. And that's why the tenor of this paragraph is the way it is. Because this is a big deal. Because Jesus hates false teaching. And why? Because Jesus loves people. And so that's our text in Galatians 1. As a result of this, for us then here, this morning, the application for all this is is pretty clear. right? And you can see it in the title that I've decided to title this message in your bulletin. It's simple. Don't desert him. Keep believing the true gospel. Meaning, believe in Jesus and stick to the true gospel. Watch out for false gospels and false teachings and do this not just because you want to make sure you're right, but because eternity and your peace and the good of others is at stake. And so very practically, brother and sister in the Lord, keep believing that God is real. Keep believing that He's three persons in one. Keep clinging to the historical truth that Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived, died in the place of sinners like you and me. That he physically rose rose from the dead on that day 2,000 years ago in history. That he's coming back one day and that all we do to receive all that is trust him. That's the gospel. And anything that goes away from that, watch out for. And as a quick side note on this, as we really do come to a close, I really do encourage you and myself, to to, to try to remember this. Even maybe try to really remember this specific passage in God's Word. To really remember the importance of the true gospel and that in our universe there is no equally good news for us or for the world. And I say that because, let's be honest, when we're less clear-minded than we might be right now in church, or when the world or some other competing message is surrounding us, whether this week, this year, or 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, we, may, we might really feel this pull away from God and his message. Or each of us in the future may be lured to believe that there's actually something better than this. <laughs> A better different good news. But I just encourage you to remember when that happens, that's a lie. (laughs) Because the truth is, there isn't. In our world and in our lives, there is no other gospel. No better news. So brothers and sisters, let's keep trusting the true gospel now and until Jesus returns or calls us home. And if you're here 
and you haven't trusted in Jesus before, you've heard the gospel, I encourage you to trust in him even this morning. Or if you're here and you realize you have started to believe some other gospel message, whether it's a religious message or a not religious message, I do encourage you this morning, come back to Christ. All because Jesus' good news is not only true, but it is what gives us joy and peace now and forever. Let's pray.